Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. David Crosby died last month after a long illness. He was 81 years old. He was a music legend whose work paved the way for the folk rock movement. He was a founding member of The Birds. He performed at Woodstock as a member of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and he was also an award-winning solo musician. He's been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. Through his whole career, Crosby worked. He released an album in 2021. He was the subject of a documentary in 2019. He put out a live record in December. He was also an outspoken advocate for causes in which he believed. He was tweeting about music and climate change a day or two before he passed away. I was lucky to get to sit down with David in 2016. Back then, he had just recorded another solo album, Lighthouse. Here's the opening track, Things We Do For Love. Was it something she said About a dream she had One of those ones That faded so fast You knew it was bad She dreamed That she's losing you I guess it's time There's only so much time Reaching through The fear that's holding her here These are the things, these are the things we do David Crosby, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you, man. So, where did you learn to sing? Uh, (laughs) I didn't. Uh, I never learned a darn thing. Um... I started singing, you know, my family sang folk songs and stuff, and so we we all sang together. I started singing harmony when I was about, mm, they tell me, around six years old. And I started singing in clubs as a folk singer when I was about uh, maybe, I don't know, 14, 15, something like that. And then uh, I started earning my living that way when I was probably about 17, 18. Did you love folk music? Very much, yeah. Why? Uh, when when my family, uh, when we got our first uh, record player, we got a, we had a 78 player. We used to play classical music in, in the big albums, you know, where you stack up 78s. When we got uh, one of the first LP players, 33 RPM players, and uh, we bought some of the, the very first uh, LPs were 10-inch. They weren't 12-inch. Uh, and, and we got... Weavers, big deal. Weavers, Pete Seeger, great example. Uh, Josh White, uh, Odetta. I learned a lot from Odetta and a bunch of classical music and and more uh, folk music after that. Were you on board with rock and roll music at the time? No, no. Uh, Elvis didn't cut it for me. I just wasn't. That wasn't my thing. I mean, I knew about it, you know, and. Uh, I knew about Bill Haley and the Comets. I knew about 
bunch of that stuff. It didn't trigger me until I heard the Everly Brothers. The Everly Brothers just mowed me right down. I loved them. What was it about them? They sing harmony really fantastically well. They wrote the book on singing harmony. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to Bullseye. My guest is David Crosby. He's a founding member of The Birds, of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and an award-winning solo performer. Why did you leave The Birds? I didn't leave The Birds. They threw me out. Why did The Birds throw you out? Because I wasn't I don't know. You know, we were young guys who had a whole lot of success really fast, very before we were even could even spell mature. And we had big egos, and I wanted a bigger piece of the pie. I wanted to be noticed more. I didn't want to just be the harmony singer. I wanted to write songs and record them, and I, you know. But I think there was a lot of egos and a lot of silliness. You know, normal things for band. When you started with uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, was it that same thing that drew you in, just that feeling of singing harmony with people and feeling like these pieces fit together? Kind of, but by that time, I knew a whole lot more. I knew that Stephen Stills was writing great songs. I knew that he was a major talent, and I knew that he was already writing songs that I wanted to sing. They were terrific. I'd been tossed out of the birds. I was hanging around L.A. I was, you know, doing whatever. And uh, I knew Stephen, and we liked each other. And so uh, I realized early on that the song is the key to the entire thing. If you have a good song that you can sit down and sing to somebody with a guitar or a piano and make them feel something, then you're in business. Then you are on the map. You are on course. Uh, if you're trying to do it without having a real song, with just having June Moon Spoon or Ooh Baby, well, then you're, you know, polishing a piece of stuff. You're, the central issue isn't there. So I realized that pretty early on. And it, it happened, you know, because I was listening to great writers. By that time, James Taylor was happening and was a very significant influence on me. Uh, and frankly, right after I got tossed out of the birds, I went to Florida and walked into a coffee house, and there was Joni Mitchell. And Joni, when she started out, was uh, an experience that you really had. It would be hard to describe to you. I walked into the door. I stood there. She was singing one of those songs that she wrote early on, and I was just gobsmacked. I didn't, I didn't know anybody could be that good. You fell for Joni Mitchell Romantically as well, right? Yeah. It was kind of like falling into a cement mixer. <laughs> uh, she's a very turbulent girl. Uh, and I love her still. But uh, thank God I'm not with her. Was it scary to be in a relationship with somebody, a romantic relationship with somebody who you felt like was definitely better at the thing that you had dedicated your life to being? Of course. Of course. And I was producing her record, her first record, at the same time. And I would write something, you know, like Guinevere, and I was pretty proud of it. And she would come home and sing me three songs that were better. And I would shrivel up a little bit. (laughs) It was, truthfully, it was a massive learning experience. Uh, I think in 100 years, they'll look back and they'll say, okay, 
who was the best singer-songwriter. And it's either her or Bob. And she sings rings around Bob. Rings. She's a much better musician than Bob is. And I love Bob, and he's my friend, and I, I'm not trying to slag him. But it's Joni all the way. She's the best singer-songwriter we've had yet. More from the late David Crosby after a quick break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, we are replaying my 2016 interview with the late David Crosby. The singer and songwriter was a founding member of The Birds and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. He died last month at 81. Before we get back into our interview, let's hear a classic CSN song that Crosby wrote, Wooden Ships. that you were smoking pot and doing psychedelics from the, you know, from the moment they were broadly available. But when did you start using other, you know, whatever, harder drugs, cocaine and, and more? Uh, early times of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, uh, we started fooling around with cocaine. And that was a deadly mistake. Didn't all get really, uh, really terrible until uh, Christine, who's one of the girls that the song was written about, Christine Hinton, uh, got killed and uh, in a car wreck. And I had n- no equipment to deal with that. Nobody had ever died on me before that I loved. And uh, so um, that's when I started um, going off the deep end with the cocaine and, and heroin also. Were you scared to do it? Scared to do what? Were you scared to do the cocaine or scared to do to use? Oh the hell heroin? no! No no no! They told us it wasn't even addictive. <laughs> Funny, most addictive substance on the planet. Did you see other people around you hurting because of it? Not not then. Not at the beginning. No no. We didn't know. We had no idea. And what it turned into was a plague. It killed a whole lot of us. I once started writing down the names of people who had died because of hard drugs. And uh, I think it was close to the end of the second page of long-form yellow legal pad, you know, that kind. Single space, second page. I was getting close to the end, and I said, I can't do this. It's too depressing. And I stopped. How did it change your life? I mean, like, not in the grand scheme of things, but in the day-to-day of things. It destroyed me. Completely. I became obsessed with it. Uh, my higher consciousness was pretty much canceled out. And, you know, I just made mistake after mistake after mistake until I went to prison. And in prison, they don't have that stuff. And so I kicked both drugs in prison, in a cell, with nothing, not even an aspirin. 
When did you go to prison? Mm, 85 for a year, Texas. I mean, that's that's a long time. A year? Uh, yeah. That's I, a, but, no, I, I mean, it's a long time to be using. I mean, that 10 or 15 years, that's a, that's a big chunk. Long time, life. but we had a lot of money, so it was easy to uh, get uh, in a mess. The, the point is, though, that when I went to prison, I did beat it. And it's a terrible way to beat it. But I went to prison, I came out, and then I did about 14 years in those uh, 12-step rooms. And uh, I beat it. I beat it. I've never done it since. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is singer-songwriter, guitarist David Crosby. What was it like for your relationships when you came back from prison clean and, you know, you had this 15 years of your life to deal with? Well, you take things one at a time. The main thing was that I had, by that time, fallen in love with Jan Dance. And uh, Jandy went into treatment when I went in the joint and uh, waited for me. Now, no one, I mean no one, waits for their guy, their boyfriend, who went to prison. They immediately go start another life. Jandy didn't. She loved me, and I loved her. And we waited, and she waited for me to get out. And then we got back together and got married. We're now together 40 years. What about the rest of it? I mean, you not only— I mean, the thing that the thing that I think of must have been— The rest of what? The rest of your life. I mean, the rest of the consequences of this, you know, this chunk of 10 or well, 15 years. Well, you know, what you do is you throw away the old phone book, first thing, Uh you notice who sticks around and who talks to you. Uh, you treasure the few friends you have left that you didn't blow it with. Uh, and you start over. And that's what I did. And the uh, 12-step meetings helped a lot, can I say. They helped everybody. We're taking a break. We'll be back in just a second. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Oh my gosh, hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture trivia podcast, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play games like motivational speeches. It goes a little like this. Riley, give us an improvised motivational speech on why people should listen and subscribe to Troubled Waters. I look around this ad and I see a lot of potential to listen to comedians such as Jackie Johnson and Josh Gondelman, and they need you to get out there and listen to them attempt to figure out sound rebus clues or determine if something is a Game of Thrones character or a city in Wales. I have chills. I'm going to give you 15 points. All that and so much more on Troubled Waters. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're listening back to my 2016 conversation with David Crosby. He died last month at 81. How did you feel different in your relationship with music um, after you got clean? Uh, well, I felt great because I could do it better. I mean, you, you know that, right? You, you don't. The people who think you have to be in turmoil or disturbed and high as a kite in order to make music are just wrong. They're totally wrong. You make much better music if you're straight, and you make um, even better music if you're happy and straight. Is it is it easier or harder for you to write, and to some extent to play, now that you're, a, what, 75? Is that right? Well, you know, um, yes, and it's kind of almost inexplicable. Uh, 
most people uh, kind of fade out on writing, uh, which is the key thing, writing, as they get older. Either they feel that they have said what they've got to say or they keep trying to have another hit or they just get lazy. I want to play another beautiful song from your new album, Lighthouse. My guest is David Crosby, and this song's called By the Light of Common Day. By the light of common day Things look different Than they did in the starlit dark The dark was warm and clouded. It was easy to deceive yourself. So, David, I, I want to ask you about um, you're on you're you're on Twitter, and you're uh, you're really fun on Twitter. <laughs> you really you really like actually talk to people and engage with people's questions and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I do too. It's a huge part of a huge part of my career, but I have never, I've never gotten to the point. <laughs> I'm better than I used to be, but I've never gotten to the point where, where the lousy part of it, where just somebody just casually uh, insults you in a really specific way while walking past your Twitter, doesn't bother me. Is that is that gone for you at this point of your career? Like if if somebody. If somebody has some weirdly specific and maybe even semi-accurate insult to you personally on Twitter, does that does that roll off your back? Pretty much. They're trolls. They're trolling. Uh, they're trying to get a reaction out of you. It's like TMZ guys. You know, they're trying to get you mad. They're trying to get a reaction. So what do you do? You don't do anything. You just ignore them. Uh, I never answer those people. I don't go, oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, your mama's so ugly. You know, um, I don't do that. I don't. And, you know, there are people who ask me every single day about uh, CSN. Don't you think you could just one more time sing the hits for us, Dave? I don't answer. I don't bother. But the trolls, no, you got to ignore the trolls, man. It's part of the thing. You have to get comfortable with that. And somebody says, yeah, you couldn't write your way out of a paper bag. You just go, okay, fine, click and go to the next one. I usually, if they're abusive, I usually just drop them. I block them right away. I don't engage. I just block them. What I like are intelligent questions. I like people who ask me something smart. And people do. People ask me sometimes brilliant things. A lot of times they'll ask me, you know, which comes first, the word or the music. And sometimes it's dumb, you know, it's, what was it really like at Woodstock, Dave? No, really, tell us. Uh, uh, well, it was muddy. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> Actually, here's the real truth, man. This is a, a, a breaking news. And you're the one who gets this breaking news. Nobody else knows this. Woodstock didn't happen. They faked it. No, I'm telling you the truth. They faked it in the same stage that they faked the moon landing. It didn't happen. Are you um, crazy? Yeah. Are, <laughs> are you comfortable with the idea of 
Crosby, Stills, and Nash, this thing that has been part of who you are publicly and part of your artistic life for whatever it is now, uh, coming up on 50 years, being a thing that was rather than a thing that isn't or, or even a thing that will be? Completely. I'm completely comfortable with it, man. What happens to bands is that when you start them, they're pretty exciting. And then if they succeed, it's very exciting. And the audience loves you, and that is a joy. And, you know, and we did it, and we did good work. I'm proud of, of CSN work, and I'm very proud of the CSNY work. I'm proud of the birds. Uh, it's all good work. But bands devolve from the point that they peak. They devolve. They, it, it heads for just doing it for the money, and pretty soon it's just turn on the smoke machine and play your hits. Well, that's not good enough. Not for me, anyway. It's not good enough. There's no excitement there. There's no joy. There's no forward motion. Zero. And that isn't acceptable to me. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled. And this sounds insincere because everything that comes out of my mouth sounds insincere, but uh, it's really sincere. Uh, I'm absolutely thrilled uh, that you have this much verve. <laughs> Thank you, man. Um, and it's it's really nice to get to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, my pleasure, man. Totally. David Crosby from 2016. Let's go out with one more classic. This is Guinevere. Guinevere had green eyes Like yours, She'd walk down through the garden in the morning after it rained. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Here in Los Angeles, my producer Kevin Ferguson was driving his car when the driver in front of him threw a banana peel out the window. Kevin drove over it and was very glad that Mario Kart is not real. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellows at Maximum Fun are Tabitha Myers and Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is composed and provided to us by DJW also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is by The Go Team. It's called Huddle Formation. Our thanks to The Go Team and to Memphis Industries, their label, for sharing it with us. Bullseye is also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Find us there. Follow us. We'll share with you all of our interviews. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. On the Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. She shall be free.